This is John Halsman, and welcome to The Culture, our Tuesday section of our little local newspaper to the world. And today, we turn to one of my favorite auteurs, the unlikely auteur, Sergio Leone, who reinvented the Western with a spaghetti Western fistful of dollars. Although mocked at the time, it has since been gone on to see an absolutely groundbreaking moment in cinematic history, and no less an auteur than Quentin Tarantino says it was the beginning of the greatest run of movies ever. Not one to escape hyperbole, I think Tarantino is on to something. And so what makes Fistful so worth watching? The 1964 Spaghetti Western has an international cast and an international outlook. It was a film made by an Italian about American, the American genre of Westerns, taking Kurosawa's Japanese samurai epic Yojimbo and making it in Spain, um, a leftist cast, particularly number two in the film, the great Jean-Marie Volante being an out-and-out hardcore leftist, finding himself in bar fights in fascist Spain at the weekend with a film that was subsidized by the Germans. It simply couldn't be more international. In fact, the film was so international that the star of the film, and soon to be a legend for playing the man with no name, Clint Eastwood, didn't speak any Italian, and the director, Sergio Leone, didn't speak any English, and they could only communicate with each other through sign language and interpretation. Welcome to my life, by the way. I have nothing but sympathy. And yet out of this bouillabaisse came something entirely new, entirely refreshing, um, and I think you really have to begin with the great Guardian commentator, Peter Bradshaw. I think he gets this right when, the, when he says the film is a punk rock Western with a comic book intensity, that this has come back into style now. Clint is a force of nature um, who coolly develops an amoral plan and uses the town's hatred, San Miguel, on the, a fly-speck town on the border between the U.S. and Mexico, and he uses the town's hatred to his advantage. And this was a Western unlike any other, because it was a Western, an American genre, seen from outside the United States. And I think it's when you get these cross-cultural linkages that you get both the worst and the best of creative uh, filmmaking, and frankly, foreign policy making, for that matter. This is what's very interesting and re reinvigorates what I think because I'm surrounded by people with different cultures and I have to constantly adapt and look at things through different lenses. And really, Fistful of Dollars is that. It's a Western looked at through different lenses. It was an incredibly low-budget movie. It cost about $200,000 to make at the time. Clint got only $15,000. Eastwood's career had reached a high point in the 1950s where he'd been on the American TV Western Rawhide, as the star Rowdy Yates, where he played a very simplistic white hat, uh, the kind of character that Leone hated, with very simple good and bad and preachy messages. But Rawhide had had a good run, but was about done. Clint wanted to go see Europe, and Leone offered him for $15,000, a reasonable amount of money, but nothing great, a summer spent in Europe. And that's all that Clint thought he would get out of that, never realizing that this would lead to his megastardom at the last possible moment. The film was released in Italy in 1964, where it very quickly, despite negative critical reviews, it very quickly became the highest grossing Italian movie ever made 
up until that point. It immediately struck a chord. It wasn't released until the United States until 1967 because of legal problems. The film, and indeed there was a lawsuit where Leone and the Italians lost because the film is a remake of Kurosawa's Yojimbo, a fantastic movie about a samurai who comes to a town with feuding people and then quickly moves from side to side to side, playing one off the other very similarly to um, The Fistful of Dollars. And in fact, Eastwood says that when he read the script about 10 pages in, he realized that it was a takeoff of a pastiche of Yojimbo. But earlier he had seen Yojimbo. Eastwood was, was and is an amazing historian and connoisseur of film. And he remembered at the time of watching it, if only someone had the guts to remake this as a Western. He, of course, spoke out of his rawhide experience at the time. Well, someone did have the guts, and it was Sergio Leone and the Italians. And this really became a glomal phenomenon of spaghetti westerns. This was the first one, the Urtext. There had been a couple made before, but nothing that had the impact that Fistful had. It's the first of a trilogy known as the Man with No Name trilogy. In this case, uh, Clint's called Joe, which seems to be the Mexican all-purpose name for a gringo in this case. Uh, but he has no name. And, and that's the point. His past and his background don't matter. And that's already a very interesting, different take on the movies. He has no context. He's merely how he acts and merely what he's doing now. The film is entirely in the present. There's only one reference in the entire movie to Clint's past, when he saves Marisol and the Holy Family, and she asks him why, and he quietly says as a throwaway line, making it all the more enigmatic and, and interesting, I knew a girl like you once and nobody came to help. Meaning that he's writing an injustice out of his own biography, and that tiny peek into the past is all he has of a past. This is a character mirrored entirely in the present, which suited the modern modernist 60s, where the past had been denigrated, wrongly in my view as a historian, but only the present and only action seemed to matter. And you had to guess and glean at biography by what people were doing now. And so Clint fit the mood as well as creating the mood. And that's a very interesting point to make right up front. Um, again, it wasn't released in America until 67 when all three Spaghetti Westerns, the trilogy, The Man With No Name, were released almost back to back to back. And what a punch that must have created at that time in that great and glorious year when you get fistful of dollars for a few dollars more and the good, the bad, and the ugly, literally coming out months apart because of these legal problems in America. But it was out in Italy in 1964 when it started, catapulting Clint to the stratosphere, to international stardom, and more to being a legend. It was shot in Spain, again in Elmera, and southern Spain, far away from Madrid or Barcelona, the cultural capitals, out in the middle of nowhere, where indeed the ground looks very like the American West, at least initially to the eye. The topography is different, but the overall effect worked. And in fact, Elmira became a booming town. It's now a ghost town. I'd love to go. I, I've been tempted and may still go as soon as I get back to Spain. But Elmira for a while was really the head of the spaghetti Western industry. These Italian movies that cut on would all be made rather cheaply in the south of Spain. It again made a stratospheric $19.9 million out of this $200,000 investment. So you can see why they immediately moved to make as many of them as humanly possible. So the man with no name, or Joe, 
as he's known to, to the locals, the all-purpose name for a Yankee, um, arrives as an unnamed stranger in San Miguel with no past, and he walks into the middle on the U.S.-Mexican border of a full-out gang warfare. They're two smuggling gangs, and there's sort of an interracial edge to this. They're the Rojas, who are the Mexican gang, led by John Maria Volante as the lead of three brothers, and they're the Baxters, who are led by Consuelo, who's the kind of matriarchal leader of that clan. But they're not equal in power. The Rojas are superior in gunfighting ability and in sheer ruthlessness. And Joe very quickly sums, uh, summarizes what's going on, and he's helped by his laconic friendship with Silvanito, the saloon keeper who stays in the middle between literally with his bar situated down the main street between the two warring gangs, and he's sort of the moral center of the film, who enjoins Clint to do the right thing over and over and again. And ironically, the man with no name, Clint, finally does to rescue Silvanito himself, because what Clint cares about is a fundamental sense of decency beneath it all, hearkening back to the old Westerns, but not expressed. Again, it's very Hemingway in his restraint and his not making preachy speeches, but in saving Marisol and her family. Clint shows that he is indeed still part of this old Western tradition. But what really gets him to act is simple friendship as well as monetary gain. The friendship of Silvanito, the saloon keeper, and the fact that he's making money by playing both sides off one another, the two smuggler families, the Rojas and the Baxters. Uh, immediately they see that he's, a, he's worth buying because he's a fantastic gunslinger. And there's a great early scene where he goes to the Baxters who've attacked his, his horse. And as he says, you made fun of my mule. And they laugh at him. And suddenly the atmosphere turns deadly from being humorous, which is another highlight of the movie. The shift in tone is brilliantly done and is comic book-like in that it's extreme, but the shift works. And suddenly it goes from being humorous to being deadly serious in just a flick of Clint squinting his eyes. And you realize, oh boy, there's going to be a gunfight. And Clint has the first of his many fabulous scenes of gunning down four of the Baxters. Earlier, he's told another ally he has, this, the coffin maker, for whom Clint is very good business, that he's going to need three coffins. And when he walks by him, he says, sorry, I got it wrong. It's four. Um, and, and this kind of humor in the midst of violence, really, you can see why Tarantino loves this, because Tarantino plays on this. The, the, these are colors in his directorial palette, going from violence to humor to morality in a very quiet, ambiguous way. Tarantino would wholeheartedly adopt all this, but Leone did it a generation before. And the films really are quite modern in their look in that way. And so having done this and playing the two sides off one another, really, as I said, the only kind of religious Im Im imagery, and it's not subtle being Leone, he doesn't do subtle, it's comic book, is Marisol, Julio, and yes, Jesus. So Marisol, Mary, Julio, Joseph, and Jesus being Jesus are, are the kind of um, family that coming straight out of the Bible, are, are the holy family. And into this, in, into this setting, Marisol is, obs is obsessively loved by Jean Maria Volante, the lead brother of the Rojas. And so he steals, steals her away 
leaving Julio and Jesus around. And, and Jesus, of course, is even viciously tormented. And that's another thing about Leone. You realize how times have changed, that they show a child being cruelly treated by adult men and being endangered by adult men. And you saw women, Consuelo, the head matriarch of the Baxters, actually being shot down uh, by the Rojas. Uh, very violent and shocking for the day, shocking even today. But they show this. These are really bad guys, and there's no limit to what they can do, and that is made very clear. The other thing in terms of the violence is that there's a lot of torture. And Leone said he thought this came out of his background um, in Italy in the last days of the war where the resistance, you either with the fascists or you were with the partisans, and everything was about not telling or informing on your colleagues despite being tortured by the Nazis and that this kind of Italian experience seeps into the film because their torture scenes gratuitous by our modern take in almost all the films and certainly here where Clint is tortured, where Silvanito at the end of the film is tortured and you're made to try to talk all the time. And this this is kind of a uniquely Italian take on the we on the Western. In the end, the Rojas destroy the Bax Baxters again, killing Consuelo in cold blood as she curses them. But Pripiero, the uh, coffin maker, helps Clint to escape, who is played by an Austrian vaudevillian. Again, the international cast. Marisol is played uh, by a German actress. Pripiero was played by an Austrian. Clint is an American. And most of the extras on the film were Spanish. And the lead baddies, including Jean-Maria Volante, were leftist Italians. And somehow they all fought each other and survived this kind of taxing international environment where the pay didn't often show up and people were constantly striking because the money always was paid in the rushes. So they would only, the Germans would only commit more money when they saw the latest film releases to know the film was worth it. It's in this kind of low budget garage band kind of way that this masterpiece was made, which makes it all the remarkable to know the backstory as I'm telling you about it. And it's a film for which, because of the backstory, I have a tremendous affection, I have to admit. Well, in the end, when Pripiero tells Clint that Silvanito is being tortured, he comes out to try to help his friend. And beneath his poncho, he's put a suit of armor. And earlier on in the film, Ramon, the John Maria Volante character, has said, uh, a Winchester rifle is always better than any kind of pistol, and Clint's figured out a way to try to neutralize this, and so despite the Winchester hitting Clint every time and knocking him down because he's wearing the suit of armor beneath his poncho, and probably he's knocked down but doesn't die, to the shock of John Maria Volante until Cliff gets within range, blows away the rest of the brothers, and encourages uh, John Maria Volante to reload, only to have him in reloading be killed. And there's a wonderful scene at the end where the camera goes straight up into the air, basically filming the last visages of Jean-Marie Volante. A fascinating take that you don't see Clint, you don't see the guys around him, you see the camera going up as in the eyes of Jean-Marie Volante going heavenwards as he heads to his death in the ground. And it's a, a, a creative, fascinating shot. Again, Leone didn't know the rules. This film didn't know the rules, and so it broke a lot of them. And it doesn't always work, but it works 80% of the time and is creative and vibrant and fascinating for this bold experimentation that literally creates in the spaghetti western an entirely new genre of filmmaking. And so for this, it stands as an absolutely great movie. Um, again, when you see it, um, 
the way it's filmed is one of the things you have to take away from it. The, the camera shots, because they couldn't afford the best cameras, made a virtue of a necessity. And so to get this operatic feel, which is very Italian, very Verdi opera feel, Leone took advantage of the fact that he had a second-rate camera that was good at only two things. It was good at extreme close-ups of a man's face and his eyes in particular and his visage and extremely long shots of horses barreling down a trail and vistas scene. And so Leone created an entire new way of looking at movies because of the limitations of this camera. And in the close-ups, you see psychology. And in the long shots, you see the vistas of the West. And so the way it's filmed, the style of it is unique and is the beginning of really the Leone style and the spaghetti Western. The second thing that comes out of it that's utterly unique is Ennio Morricone's magnificent score. Later on, Tarantino, to honor him, would use Morricone in filming Kill Bill Part Two, And Morricone, again, makes what's operatic even more operatic. He goes for it. He, the reason he was hired was that he and Leone had been schoolmates in kindergarten. Can you imagine that kindergarten class? And he could work for cheap. And so he thought, gee, won't this be fun? I'll try it. And he went on to become one of the greatest um, film composers of all time. And you can't think of a spaghetti Western without thinking of Morricone's music. I defy you to. It is small. It can be intense to fit the scenes. And it can be operatic and huge. And Morricone's music alone makes it worth the watch. And no film after that really came close. Again, there was a James Bond quality to it. There was humor, and it was done with James Bond vigor. This is a new kind of Western hero who does have a code a la Bond, who believes in friendship, but also believes in making money. There's an amorality that it's okay to make money, and then playing two sets of bad guys off one another and being less morally bad than the other guy is still worth doing, in line with what Tarantino was to do magnificently later on. So for the style for the soundtrack, for the satirical humor, for making Westerns believable again, making them less starchy, less preachy, more in tune with modernism in the 1960s, Fistful of Dollars stands out. And it made Clint Eastwood the Clint that we know today. This film is absolutely worth watching, and I encourage you as we go through them to watch them with me. I'm actually going to go do that right now. Thank you so much for enjoying the first of our Spaghetti Western looks, Fistful of Dollars. Next, we will look at the follow-up, which might even be better, incredibly, though I love the rawness and the discovery of Fistful and maintain a tremendous affection for it for that. But we'll go from Fistful of Dollars to a few dollars more, certainly a sequel that lived up to the original, though. For those of you who have enjoyed this, please do subscribe. I love the fact that our subscription is going through the roof, and we're honored so many of you like the culture section. We will absolutely keep them coming. This is thrilling for me to think creatively about different things than I normally do and bring this to you, because I live this reality of an international life, and you can see the fruition of it in things like the Spaghetti Westerns. For those of you who subscri subscribe, please do give the $70 a year we're asking. $7 a month or only $70 a year. Half the espresso I'm about to go now have as I enjoy Leone's masterpiece. Please do give the $70, and in return, I promise we will keep this unique quality up for you as we move forward together as a community. Thanks very much, and on to the next.